Hello, and welcome to Bite Size Podcast. I'm Tally. And I'm Adrian. And we are here to give you big ideas, bite-sized, in a format that everyone can appreciate, which is the time-old classic, the podcast. Everybody has a podcast. That is true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and we do, too. <laughs> Every every party needs a podcast, right? That's the line. Yeah, that's, what... that's it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so we've been doing some big stuff recently. Yeah. Um, so for most of you, you didn't get to hear our nibble-sode, as we're calling them, uh, which is <laughs> our uh, little baby episodes. Um, but our Patreons did. They got a special bonus episode this week. Um, where Tally got to tell us about how she went to a Magic the Gathering tournament. Was it a tournament? It's like a tournament convention thing. I don't know. If you listen to the show, you'll hear more about yeah. it. So if you're interested in that, you should become a patron of our Patreon. Yep, and you can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. We've got three tiers up right now. We've got the official patron, which is going to be $5 per month, which includes early access to our episodes, so you'll be getting to listen to this episode early. You're also going to be listed as a publisher for our episodes with a special shout-out because we do love you so very, very much. Our next step up is going to be the all-access actu- all patron, which is $10 per month, which includes bonus episodes like our Nibblesode. We're also going to be doing some indie game reviews, things like that, couch co-ops, plus everything in the previous tier. And then we've got our VIP patrons, which are also going to get access to monthly AMAs. I don't know where we're going to go with that quite yet. We might do something like a Discord, but at the present moment we're going to just do that through our email which is going to be the bite-sized podcast at gmail.com plus everything in previous tiers that's going to be $20 per month um so if you are interested in supporting us and what we do and you do like our content please consider going over and grabbing a subscription tier so that you get access to all those goodies yeah that would be great and we would love you forever for it true (laughs) (laughs) So, if we want to start back up, when we last left off, we had just introduced the SNES, which had kind of revolutionized gaming, and from there, we continue on to... The Sega Genesis. Yeah, so quick note that if you haven't listened to episode one, you should probably do that, um, just because it makes sense on a timeline. That's just me. (laughs) In space. Yeah. In time and space, it makes more sense. (laughs) Okay. So the Sega Genesis. So Sega, the manufacturer, was originally a coin-op arcade game first, which I didn't even put two and two together. So I felt like a big dummy when I was like, oh, right. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 That obviously (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) Uh, right. But they became inspired by the NES, um, like the rest of us, and wanted their own 8-bit success. So they first created the Sega Master System in response to the NES. And the Master System, it put up a tough fight in several countries, but it never really took off in the U.S. or Canada, which is, you know, a, an important market if you're doing right, video right. games. North America, pretty big. Yeah. Lots of people. So uh, people even refer to it as the poor man's NES and talk shit about it not being able to play the Super Mario Brothers 3. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I felt so sad when I read that. Like, oh, 
it's okay, buds. You'll figure it out. <laughs> well, you, later down the line. You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sega was sick of not getting, like, that sweet console pie. So they thought of this new plan. A better plan. And they were like, fuck this 8-bit business. We're going straight to 16-bit. And the Sega Aww, Genesis shit. was born. So, quick fun fact. Um, the Genesis was originally named the Mega Drive, but another company in North America had already like got in on that trademark. And they were like, fuck you, you can't name your console this. So then they named it the Genesis after the book in the Bible, indicating that it was bringing forth a new age in video games wow that just i mean that's like considering the that's history. a big dick move <laughs> like in yeah. a good way <laughs> like bde yeah that good big dick not the bad big dick <laughs> uh so um and it really did bring about a new age um so the sega genesis was the first true true 16-bit system there was another console called um turbo graphics 16 before the Genesis, but the CPU on that was still only 8-bit, so it wasn't, like, a full-fledged 16-bit system, and the Genesis was. Um, It was this console that made the Mega Drive, which was, again, soon to be the Genesis. Um, It launched in Japan in 88, and it didn't really do great, because there was already Turbo Graphics there, and everybody was really into that, and they were not interested in whatever Sega was doing. So right. after that sad launch, the Genesis was released in North America um, with their co-op arcade hit, Altered Beast, which I have never played, so I don't know anything really about it, um, which probably says a lot about the game. <laughs> right, right, right. I've, I've never even heard of it. I do know that there's a, a band called Altered Beast, so maybe that's... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably played it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> So Michael Katz was the American Sega CEO. Um, He was determined to have success in America, and he put together a pretty aggressive ad campaign and pushed focus to, like, Sega games that were geared towards the American market specifically. And they teamed up with celebrities, and, um, you know, they really just want to drive home the success of the Genesis. And, you know, it it worked for the most part. People bought them. Um, But it it wasn't doing really well. Like it still couldn't hold a candle to the NES because Super Mario Brothers 3 had already launched and it was fucking slaying all over the place. Like everybody wanted to do that. Um, So the Genesis didn't really have anything that could stand up to that. So this led to Sega shuffling around its (laughs) CEOs and they pushed forward Tom Kalinsky, I think. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, they were like, you go be the CEO now and you do better things. Um, right. So they were also trying different ad strategies to compete with Nintendo. And then the Sega found its swan song in the 91 release of Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Sonic. I have not Absolutely. seen the movie yet. <laughs> Neither have I. I <laughs> I had a friend that I went and saw Cats with. Is oh the guy god. that I went to the the um yeah, oh my god. <laughs> Talk about an experience. But I really wanted to do like the same thing and like go and see Sonic and just like hope that it was like so so terrible. <laughs> I heard people really liked it. 
Okay, well, never mind, actually. Maybe it's actually going to just be a really cool experience. But I think I might have missed... I think it's out of theaters now. Oh, yeah, it's gone. Whatever. Um, so it wasn't that great, but... Um, <laughs> Gotta go fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I'll probably watch it. Um, so, yeah, so- Sonic was designed specifically with the American audience in mind. And it really paid off for them because now people were scrambling to get their own Genesis, uh, which was two years old at this time already. Uh, but people mm-hmm. wanted to play that hot new video game because video games, you know, they were now reinvented and they were cool again after that crash. Uh, so everybody was back to playing video games. Everybody's back to loving video games. And now it was starting this like new age of the console war where Nintendo and Sega were like battling it out and Sega just fucking dropped their big hot load. I don't know. I don't know what the <laughs> the analysis there is. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, they just dropped a steaming pile of fuck you on Nintendo. Yeah. And they're like, who's the big kid now, bitch? Yeah. So, yeah, people were now buying Segas again. And uh, so they were skyrocketing at this point. Um, and then the rest of it will come into play after the SNES comes into play. So just some quick stats about Sega. Um, It was released in Japan in 88. It was released in America in 89. Uh, It kind of officially died in 97, but third parties are still making them. So you can still buy like a new Sega Genesis today. Holy shit, that's wild. Yeah, I know. Super I cool. know there's, like, a lot of a resurgence with, like, uh, retro video games. And yeah. Stuff like that too. So, like, people are getting really people big. People love that shit. Going back and doing it. Yeah. That's pretty insane. Yeah. <clears throat> it sold over uh, 30 million copies or units. Mm. Um, the mm-hmm. original price was $189, which is uh, $393 in today's monies. Oh, dang. And its best-selling game was Sonic the Hedgehog. Hell yeah. And that's the first part of the Sega Genesis. Yeah. So <clears throat> obviously we kind of, the way that the console wars goes, it's kind of like a weird back and forth between Nintendo in these early days. Because they so, were like really were saying, at war. <laughs> yeah, no, they were like legitimately, and I'll get to that in a second because there was like some fucking shit. Um, but so while the Sega Genesis was like coming out and introducing this, the NES was still holding really strong in, in markets all over the world. So what I did is I just kind of like, cause we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. I just kind of went back and looked at some of the best releases from the NES. <clears throat> so first of all, you can't talk about the NES without talking about Tetris. Yes. Uh, oh my so God. Tetris, <laughs> yeah, Tetris is a game that I play religiously. Um, I, uh, I love Tetris so, so much, which is so dumb because it's like literally like, I don't know. It's just like, it's such a simple game, but it can like literally give you entertainment for years and years and years. Well, it's like calming, um, but still engaging. Right. See, for me, it's never been calming. It's always like very high stress, like very high stakes. <laughs> and like, I get like really pumped about it. Oh my God. Especially um, when you're at the top lines and it's like going fast and the music's speeding up and you're just like, oh my God. Yeah, dude. If I had to predict the way that I'm going to die, it's going to be like, you know, I'm with my grandchildren at the arcade. And then like, I decide to play, like, you know, like the old dusty Tetris cabinet that's like back there in like the year 2070. And it like still works for some reason. I'm like, oh, and I go and I play it and I have like a heart attack and I die on the floor. It's a noble way to go out. (laughs) 
just high stress. <laughs> um, so Tetris was originally released in 1984. It was designed by Alexei Pajitnov. Pajitnov? Pajitnov. Sure. Um, That's it was a also name. the yeah right very Russian <laughs> very Russian, um, but it was the first game to be exported from the Soviet Union to the United States and was originally published for the Commodore sixty four, which as most of us know is one of the original home computers. Right, right. Um, it was released in November of nineteen eighty nine on the NES. It sold eight million copies worldwide for the NES. Um, the next one, which was big, and of course we've kind of already talked about it, was Super Mario Brothers. It was the second game in the Mario franchise. The original one was, so in Super Mario Brothers 3, when you, um, are playing with two players and you hit the POW on, like, that first level, the level where there's, like, a bunch of stuff coming out on, like, the... Uh, platforms and you have to like kill them and like it's like a whole thing um that was the original mario brothers and that was a cabinet arcade game and then super mario brothers was the second in the mario franchise it was a platformer on the nes and was released in 1985 this was originally for the famicom and then in north america on the nes in 1985 and european markets in 1987 It was wildly successful for (laughs) Nintendo, and it continues to be regarded as one of Nintendo's, like, in general, one of their most popular games. Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. And then, yeah, I mean, Super Mario Maker, like, there's still so many throwbacks. Excuse me. So many, so many things that are wrapped up in the original Super Mario Brothers release. It's fucking insane. Um, so excluding ports and re-releases, the original NES version of the game sold over 29 million copies Jesus. in North America alone. Oh my god. <laughs> and over 40 million copies worldwide, making it the best-selling Mario series game and one of also the best-selling video games of all time. <laughs> yeah. So Super yes. Mario Brothers 3, um, yeah. was one of the like my my biggest memories in my childhood um because my my parents were also video game players i wouldn't call them gamers but um we played video games together as a family and i remember like all those little mini games like the matching the cards and stuff um yeah. my mom had a super mario brothers 3 notebook that she dedicated to writing all of the like the maps down and like mapping out where the cards were so we would just blast through everything we had a cheat guide before the internet (laughs) yeah and it was just i i don't even have that notebook anymore which is really sad but it's just one of those fond memories of you know pull out the the notebook we're gonna do it with no whistles this time (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, that's the same way that my family functioned. And um, I know that we had the Duck Hunt Super Mario Brothers split cartridge. Oh, yeah. Which I believe came with the system that we bought because we bought it a little bit later on in the game. Um, But Super Mario Brothers, like, continues to, like, it remains one of my favorite games. Like, even, so Press Start in Rapid City is an arcade bar that I used to frequent and will probably frequent again in the future when I visit. Yeah, for sure. Um... But uh, they have a classic 10 Nintendo arcade setup that has Super Mario Brothers on it. And I will frequently just spend the entire night playing Super Mario yeah. Brothers 3. It's it's 
absolutely it's probably my, it's my favorite i think it's the most well put together it's the most innovative it has like the coolest levels for me personally yeah. i just love it so much it is like the definition of a classic yeah I think, personally, I'm surprised when I was doing research to find that Super Mario Brothers, just the original, was the best-selling one because Super Mario Brothers 3 was literally just so incredible for yeah. its time, in, in my personal opinion. Um, so, moving on, we did have the release of The Legend of Zelda, which saw the birth of two of our favorite and most beloved, beloved video game characters. Probably the two characters that have gotten confused the most oh over their lifespan, right? of course, which is Princess Zelda and Link. This was released in 1986. It was originally released for the Famicom Disk System, which was a peripheral add-on which allowed the system to run games from floppy disks, which was pretty cool, and I think the Genesis did that as well. Um, over a year later, it was released in North America and European markets for the NES system and was the first home console game to feature a battery within the console for saving data internally. So like you had seen in games like Metroid, which I'll talk about here in a second, which had password systems. So once you died, you had a password which would load you to a certain part of the screen based on yeah. internal coding. So this smart. actually had a save game feature with a battery inside of the uh, console, uh, sorry, the cartridge it's, itself. <clears throat> and then the version was later released in Japan on the cartridge as well in 1994 as the Hyrule Fantasy Legend of Zelda 1. And that was another wildly successful hit for Nintendo, being the first of their games to sell over a million copies. And it sold a total of 6.5 million copies. Dang. So pretty, pretty big up there. And then it continued to be a hit, except for uh, Adventures of Link, which is just uh, the worst, probably the worst, most challenging, irritating video game I've ever played in my entire life. I never did. I never did. <laughs> yeah. Don't. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next big one was Metroid, which was released oh God, on the yes. Famicom Disk System as well in 1986 and received a North American release on ROM cartridge for the NES in 1987 and Europe in 1988. And this one was um, really big in terms of just game design because they tried to make it... Um, it was one of the first games to emphasize exploration as a nonlinear game instead of just like using the platformer kind of setup to continue on in a straight progression. It challenged gamers to like have to retrace their footsteps and go back and, and find new things in order to advance forward in the game. Um, so the original NES game sold over 2 million units worldwide. Yeah, as a small baby child, I sucked at Metroid. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it was super calm. I, I tried to play it because I have the Switch now, so <clears throat> I was playing it on the, the emulator that's internal on the on the Switch, and I was trying to play it, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, like, way more difficult than I remember it being yeah. as a child. Um, yeah, so so those were kind of, like, the high points of, of the NES, and obviously we can see that it stayed really, really strong in pretty much all markets across the board. And the cool thing about... Um, the NES and then later the SNES was it really focused on games that were more in like the RPG spectrum, which was kind of completely different from what the Genesis was offering, uh, mostly because a lot of the Genesis was just trying to port over from, like you were saying, their cabinet games, things like Virtua Fighter and, <clears throat> and things like that, which just did not hold as strongly 
in American markets as they did in Japanese markets where arcade games were still very popular and where they were kind of like fading out in the United States. So the SNES or the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, was Nintendo's masterful 16-bit home console answer to the Genesis. It was released in 1990 in Japan, 1991 in North America, European markets in 1992, and finally South America in 93. Uh, It's probably got the most nicknames of any console in existence. Um, In Japan, they called it the SFC, or the Super Famicom. In South Korea, it was known as the Super Comboy. And of course, in America, I've heard it called the SNES, the SNES, or the Super Nintendo. So lots of names for that one. Um, it actually shared an introductory price with the NES. It remained at $19.89, so it was $10 more expensive than the Genesis in American markets and was officially discontinued in all markets in September of 2003. So in total, it sold during that time 49 mil- over 49 million units worldwide and over 23 in North America alone. Okay, um, and okay. it used the same... <clears throat> The same kind of ROM cartridges, with a, but this time with a top-loading console format. Um, so, of course, coming back to the Mario series, one of its best-selling games included Super Mario World, which came with the console and sold twenty over 20 million cartridges. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Donkey Kong Country, which was also a pack-in game with more than 9 million cartridges. Super Mario Kart, which was absolutely fucking oh my horrendous. God so bad uh but apparently people enjoyed it also a pack-in game at 8 million copies and then street fighter 2 with 6.3 million copies which is really important especially with our series speaking of the console wars um the first was between the nes and saga or sorry and sega um so while sega tried to position the genesis as the cool kid console with mature titles and older market audience nintendo scored the first port to console for street fighter 2 which was massively important because the sega genesis like that was like their big thing like fighting games was a big thing for the genesis you can see that with mortal Kombat. like they were very much in fact it got so severe there was a, a marketing campaign that Sega run that said the Genesis will do what the Nintendo don't. <gasps> oh. Yeah, dude. Shots fired. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, dude, shots fired AF. So like, <laughs> so that was like a big deal. Um, and then Donkey Kong Country is also said to have had a hand in continuing the console's relevance with its, its gameplay and its graphics because it's just a genuinely fun game. It really is. And it was really good looking. Great soundtrack. Um, it even had a, conta- a hand in continuing its popularity into the era of the PlayStation and Sega Saturn. Um, in the end, with a higher price point and less games available, the SNES ended up outselling the Genesis in at least U.S. markets. And then it also held relevance outside of exclusively game markets with the release of not one, but two video game-inspired movies. <laughs> Uh, the first being the critically acclaimed, in not a good way, Super Mario Brothers, which is honestly still to this day the first thing that I think of when I think of John Linguizamo, <laughs> followed extremely close by Wong Fu, but still in the lead. Right. Uh, do I think about John Linguizamo a lot? Yes. Do I know why? No. <laughs> it's just, you know, brains work how they're going to work. It's either that or like I think of Sid the Sloth from uh, Ice, uh, Ice Age. Oh, right, right, right. It's either him as Luigi or 
Sid the Sloth. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and it happens a lot. I don't know why. Um, so the movie was released in 1993 and was absolutely ridiculous. I don't actually even remember the plot. That I just know that it was like Did it super crazy. There was like slime things. There was like it kind of reminded me of like a mix between like kind of sort of like the themes of Mario and then like Ghostbusters. <laughs> like yeah, there uh, it was a lot of like visual stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it like pulled on like a bunch of stuff. Like it wasn't just this. Like Nintendo game was like, yeah, you want to make a movie? Sure, go ahead. And then they made like the worst possible <laughs> movie. <laughs> Um, so it was actually, it was distributed by Disney, which I didn't know until I started doing oh, dang. research. Yeah, and it was uh, wildly unsuccessful and actually grossed less than half of its $48 million budget. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it was real bad. Um, and then, of course, the second and the best was uh, Street Fighter, starring uh, my husband, Jean-Claude Van Damme, also known as JCVD, which is pretty much the only important casting choice that's, uh, uh, you know, part of that. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's literally the only important thing about that movie that you should remember is just that Jean-Claude Van Damme is in it. And yeah. Muscles. And End of story. It's great. <laughs> uh, it was released eight months after I was born in December of 1994 under Universal Pictures. It earned over $3 million opening day and grossed $9 million five hundred eight thousand and thirty dollars in opening weekend putting in at number three behind dumb and dumber in total the film grossed over 99 million and then leonard malton gave the film his lowest possible rating stating that even jean-claude van damme fans can't radicalize or rationalize this bomb jesus uh, which is untrue because any screen time my husband receives is magical and, and worthy <laughs> of praise uh, Washington Post's Richard Harrington wrote, it was notable only for being the last film ever made by Raul Julia, uh, an actor far too skilled for the demands of evil warlord General M. Bison, but far too professional to give any le- anything less than his best. And the New York Times offered a dreary, overstuffed hodgepodge of poorly edited martial arts sequences and often unintelligible dialogue. Oh, God. <laughs> So, you know, that was what the United States decided was going to be video game culture Ugh. right there from the beginning. So really, really doing a bang up job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess it's important then to before we kind of start getting into the next generation of console gaming, uh, it's the perfect time to talk about the ESRB because we're talking about Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, all that. Um, so our well-known and loved uh, video game rating system was originally um, introduced with like without going into full effect in July of 1994. Um, so of course, video games obviously continued to get better and better, going from 8-bit to 16-bit, and then having the ability to have full motion video cutscenes, which was very, very much featured on the Genesis disc system. Uh, in 1992, two senators, Joe Lieberman of Connecticut and Herb Cole of Wisconsin. Uh, began Senate video or Senate hearings on video game violence and the corruption of society. <laughs> uh, two games were cited in the hearing, and I'm sure almost everyone can guess at least one of them. The first, obviously, was Mortal Kombat, which is traditionally and historically one of the most bloody and inappropriately violent games of all time, and continues to be so. Uh, yep. The other one was a game called Night Trap, oh. which was. I, I had never heard of it before this. Yeah, Game Grumps it. played it. 
<laughs> which is cool. But uh, um, yeah, so the plot of which is essentially you're watching teenage girls on live surveillance footage and you have to trigger traps in live time to capture anyone endangering the girls. Um, now, the reason why it was cited is it's said to have featured gratuitous violence and sexual aggression towards women. Uh, I watched the trailer for the 25th anniversary edition, which was released on PlayStation. It was probably the corniest thing I have ever seen. And then I watched Game Grumps play the original on Sega CDX, which was the disc system. Um, but I didn't watch all of it. I just watched enough to know that it was corny as hell and very tame. Okay. Um, At the time of the hearings, there was no industry standard to actually rate games, and many distributors were worried about selling video games to children that were too graphic, and so the ESRB, rated T for teen, uh, (laughs) was officially introduced and rolled out in September to... um, Uh, In September of 1994, uh, the system consisted of age-based ratings starting at early childhood, which was um, just early childhood, and then kids to adults, which was later named E for everyone, T for teen, M for mature, and adults only. This rating system, however, did not expand to arcade games, so it was just for home consoles, um, with the American Amusement Machine Association citing fundamental differences between the coin-op and consumer segments of the video game industry, which personally, to me, does not make any sense. Right, right. Because it's the same games. Like, yeah. They're just as violent. In fact, they're more public and more available to children if they're in an arcade than, you know, if they're going to be buying them at home with their parents. To yeah. me, personally. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, so now we've got all of that established, you know, we're like, we're moving on up, and then we have the fifth generation. Well, I gotta talk about Sega's response to the SNES. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah, I got way ahead of myself. (laughs) Yeah, you were on a roll, so. (laughs) Yeah, I just have, you know, I got really excited about Jean-Claude Van Damme, and then I kind of lost that. (laughs) Yep, she's lost. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. (laughs) Yeah, so just um, Sega, the Genesis didn't really have much of a response to the SNES, um, but uh, like their their sales were increasing thanks to Sonic, um, but the SNES was still dominating the market. So the CEO at the American Sega land, um, he decided to get even more aggressive with the Sega, and he pushed out Altered Beast as their bundled game and put in Sonic. Um, and he dropped the price by $10. So this made the, Gen- the Genesis the least expensive 16-bit on the market. And his strategy mm. actually worked and paid off. Um, and the, Gen- the Genesis at that point started uh, dominating the sales. Um, so by the end of 93, Sega owned 16% or 60% of the 16-bit console market in North America and Nintendo their share had dropped down to 37%. Mm. So the strategy paid off, but they didn't hold the market for very long because then the Saturn entered the, <laughs> entered the ring. <laughs> right, right, right. And so I think when I was doing my research, because I, I had to, in order to like, because we kind of have been going back and forth based on like kind of challenging ourselves to like research things that we weren't, you know, super into and like kind of trying to like learn a little bit more about that. I did do a decent amount of research into 
the genesis and the lead up to the fifth generation of console gaming and 32 and 64 bit consoles and kind of like um, the main problem with sega was they went from blasting off with this crazy amount of success and like doing really well with sonic and then all of a sudden like and it's not all sega of america's fault and um what is it tom tim the guy i forgot to write it down here oh, um, yeah, but yeah. the the ceo of uh the president of sega america essentially started greenlighting games that were like not fucking good like it was like atari all over again yeah. and he like sega of america really kind of jeopardized their relationship with kb games um which said you know we're not gonna fucking like you've got a bunch of like really mature gaming content and then also games that just suck and we can't sell your gaming system like we're not gonna sell you and so they like lost that connection same thing with circuit city which was a a name that i have not heard in so long that and like comp usa jesus christ yeah (laughs) um but so they they made all of these like poor decisions in terms of like how they were going to um run their business and and it was kind of like watching Atari happen all over again which really sucks because i mean they had a great technology and they were one of the first to the market and they did it really well yeah it's they did a lot of they, good things yeah they just made some some dumb decisions some bad bits if you will yeah So the end of 1993 saw the introduction of the fifth generation of console gaming, introducing the first 32-bit and 64-bit consoles, also known as the 3D era. Um, And many companies had their hats in the ring for this era of gaming, but I'm going to focus on the Sega Saturn. The Saturn was the follow-up to the wildly popular Sega Genesis, which paved the path for itself with pivotal games, boosting that it was... Like, again, I said, it it boasted that it does what Nintendo don't, which is probably (laughs) one of the best marketing slogans I've seen in a really long time. Um, So the Saturn was released in Japan in November of 1994, uh, North America in May of 1995, and July of 1995 for the European Union and European markets. It was a CD-ROM console, and estimates placed consoles sold worldwide between 9.5 million and 17 million units. This poor thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, honey child. Oh, honey boo-boo child. Uh, So one one of my biggest sources of information for this was a video called Why Sega Saturn Failed by Sega Lord X on YouTube. And this is probably the most flat out honest take. Like this guy, obviously his name is Sega Lord. Like he oh, shit. loves this. He loves this shit. But, oh shit. <laughs> um, he, he went in, you know, the Sega Saturn by all means should have been wildly successful. Even looking at a side by side comparison with the hardware level, the Saturn could have easily outperformed the Sony PlayStation. Um, the problem was there was some problems getting it out. The first time there was some, some shoddy hardware and they had to do re-releases and, and all of that, and and what crippled the the Genesis towards the end of its life was also the fate of the Saturn. Sega of America essentially just blasted out soft turd after soft turd <laughs> in terms of game design. They hardly ported over any of their Genesis classics with upgrades. Like there was no sequels that could have not only retained their Genesis fans but also pulled in new customers. And on top of that, they were banking on ports from arcade favorites. Uh, and while that worked with, like I said, Japanese markets, the American level of arcades was dwindling. And so games like Virtua Fighter with nothing to make it stand out, it just wasn't going to cut it. 
And then, of course, the real kicker was the massive price tag on top of shaky relations that Sega had with almost every major games retailer in the United States. The Saturn released with a three hundred and ninety nine dollar price tag, which in the 90s. Holy fuck. I can't I didn't calculate it for inflation, but probably fucking insane. because The 90s was doing real fucking well for itself. Um. The uh, the Saturn actually continued to hold success in Japan despite the decision of its North American offices um, for like the games that they put out, and and this is where we see Sony just straight fucking uppercutting Sega like out of the water. Um, so of course, like I said, KB Toys like refused to work with them. Circuit City refused to work with them, and then on top of everything, Sega. Um, uh, had the exclusive rights with Eidos, so Tomb Raider was originally supposed to be a an exclusive for oh, shit. the Sega Saturn. Yeah, and I actually I watched a playthrough of the Sega Saturn versus the Sony PlayStation, and honestly, the graphics quality and the speed of the game is better on, oh, on the Saturn, which they is like fucked so that up. Sad. <laughs> yeah, dude, they fucked they fucked it up. So, uh, so they signed, so Sony turned around and, like, instantly was like, oh, yeah, sign an exclusive with KB Toys, sign an exclusive with Circuit City. Oh, also, we're taking Eidos, so now Tomb Raider's with us as well. <laughs> Look at me, I'm the captain now. Yes. <laughs> um, so this, uh, uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, regardless of its small hold in Japanese markets, all of that was completely demolished with the release of Final Fantasy VII in, in January 1997. Yeah, that was the death and, blow uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was like, oh, yeah, you want some? You want some more? Oh, we'll give you some more? Oh, Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> Boom, bitch. Like, Bye, and then it was, yeah. So that was in 1997, and the Saturn was finally put to bed in April of 1999 with Sega executives choosing to move forward with their Katana console, which would later be known as the Dreamcast, which we'll get to in later episodes. Right, right, right. God, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it time for PlayStation? I think it's time for PlayStation. Oh, PlayStation. <laughs> PlayStation. <laughs> Oh my god, I heard that in my dreams for years. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's real. It's fucking real. Yeah. Okay, so, I didn't know this until I started doing research, um, but Sony and Nintendo, you know, they were originally going to team up for the SNES, and um, mm. Sony was going to supply their audio processor, and like things were good between them. And then uh, Nintendo approached Sony and they asked um, if they could start developing a CD-ROM situation for the SNES because that technology was just hitting the market and Nintendo wanted to get on top of that. So they started negotiating a contract and there was a contract dispute that led to Nintendo ending the relationship with Sony. And Sony was like, "Um, well, fuck that. And they started developing their own console using the technology. So they were just like, you want to work with us? We're just going to fucking do it better. So Nintendo, uh, a medium was like, what the fuck, bro? And tried to cease the development of the PlayStation by suing Sony. But they had nothing to stand on and Sony actually won the case. (laughs) Um, Damn, okay. Yeah. So at that point, Sony is like, we're doing great. We're awesome. We're going to keep this up and uh, we'll see you in the markets, bro. 
and right seriously <laughs> yeah so they're just like moving forward and everything's great um so sony had all these years to start developing their system because they were already late to the game so they were like let's just do it the best that we can um mm-hmm. they did have one big disadvantage though because compared to other gaming giants they didn't have their own in-house game development studio so they started like dipping into the market all over the place and seeing who could work with them. And this was a smart strategy because uh, everybody wanted to jump on board. Everybody that wasn't on board with something else wanted to be on this particular board because they were introducing this new technology that, you know, hadn't really been hugely successful in the gaming market yet. So everybody's like, I want to do this. I want a chance to do this. Um, so they had no problems with um, like getting partnerships. And since they had multiple partnerships, uh, this led to um, them being able to launch the system with an already impressive selection of games. And it also helped them that they were able to release games at a steady rate. So they just had this fucking strategy. Like it was brilliant because all these people um, were in to make this thing successful and then it was successful and then it continued to be successful. Um, Right. As opposed to the Sega Saturn that was like, we just want to release as many games as possible so that we can beat everybody to market. And then it was just fucking. Yeah. So Sony was like, let's do this the right way. And remember all those people that kind of stabbed us in the back? Let's fucking make sure that we dominate uh, for the rest of forever. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. They, um, they launched in Japan in 94, and then they launched in North America and Europe 11 months later in 95. And people just fucking lost their minds. And everybody wanted this, and it was the best thing that had happened. And, like, people that weren't playing video games now were playing video games. And it just blew everything out of the water. And it fucking Mm -hmm. rode that success until the PlayStation 2, which we'll talk about in a later episode. Um, Yeah. So just some stats. Uh, Like I said, it was released in 94 in Japan and in North America and Europe in 95. It died in 2006. Its original price was uh, $299. Yes, it was even cheaper than the Jeff yeah. or than the Saturn. Yeah, Jesus. everything <laughs> they did was smart. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. sold um, over one hundred two point four nine million units. Jesus Christ! Holy God! <laughs> no, it was the first one to sell that many units worldwide. Like that's yeah, fucking insane. Um, yeah, and then I looked up what their best-selling game was for the PS One. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a quick guess? Oh, fuck. Because um, I was surprised. Okay, if you're surprised, then I'm going to say it had to have been, like... Oh, I really can't, because I didn't look, so I really don't know. I think it would probably have to be anywhere between... It's either Final Fantasy VII or, like, something dumb, like... Uh, uh, what is that monkey game? Which one? <laughs> There's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, I will yeah, tell I, you. I don't know. Okay. Their best-selling game, which sold almost 11 million copies, 
Gran Turismo. Oh my god. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yes. I was like, what the Wow. Wow. I'm really surprised. Actually, <laughs> I know. Considering, like, you know, you've got like Legend of Dragoon, I believe, was a, yeah, a PlayStation. Like other one, notable Final games. Final like Seven, all of the Final Fantasy things that were released. Resident Evil. Tekken, Metal Gear Solid, Silent Hill, Spyro, the Tony Hawk franchise, Crash Bandicoot, Chrono Cross, the Tomb Raider franchise, but no, Gran Turismo. (laughs) Gran Turismo (laughs) was the one that people were like, that's the one. (laughs) That's the one. This is it. That's the one. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I saw that and I was like, what the fuck, you guys? (laughs) I'm also kind of what the fuck, because it wasn't even that good. Like, car games are not what they were. I did play a shit ton of Need for Speed, not gonna lie. (laughs) Oh, dude, Hot Pursuit? That was my fucking shit back in the day. Yeah. Oh my god, I loved it. Yeah, Yeah, so, um, I I told you this, but I'm gonna tell our Bite Size Buddies, which is the name that you coined, and I think it's good, and I think we should call our listeners Bite Size Buddies. (laughs) Buddies. There it is. Hey. <laughs> so I remember, like, like I said, I grew up playing the NES, and I grew up playing the Sega, um, and I loved those memories and everything, and like that was cool and whatever. But when the PlayStation hit the scene, um, my parents had a friend come over, and he had the PlayStation One, and we lived in this split level, weird little townhouse duplex thing, and I was supposed to be in bed, but. I knew my parents were downstairs playing video games and fucking bitches. Yeah. So I was like, (laughs) I remember the first time I saw the PlayStation and it was Tomb Raider. And this is a flashback to our first episode, Laura Croft's titties. (laughs) Laura Croft's titties. (laughs) Because I sat on the stairs, like with my head, just barely over the banister and watched them play Tomb Raider and, you know, them doing the swan dive and killing her. (laughs) Like, just yeah. everything about it and um i was immediately hooked on that style of game because that was the first time me personally that was the first time i saw a game like that and then later you know like doom and everything came about and uh that was i credit tomb raider for my absolute obsession with video games oh yeah i mean that was one of the first ones i so uh, my parents were super into like 100%ing shit and so they would like look up game guides and stuff like that oh, and right. we would play it as like a family and like try and like solve all the fucking shit and then write it down just like you were talking about like we did the same fucking stuff and like I remember as a child <laughs> it was so fucking dumb um <clears throat> as a child my mom used to say fucking she would call like my dad would like accidentally like jump off a cliff which you want to do in Tomb Raider like it's just gonna happen yeah. a lot <laughs> Um, but I, I, she, he would like jump off a cliff accidentally and my mom would be like, ha ha lemming. And like, I didn't understand what oh, yeah. would be like so dumb about like, just like any creature, like jumping off a cliff on purpose, unless it would be like something that's like, like wildly stupid. So I thought lemmings were birds for like <laughs> the first half of my life because of two raiders. <laughs> I don't know because that's just what made sense in my in my head. They're not; they're small furry animals, yeah. which is fine. I remember the lemmings. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, yeah. 
Oh boy. So there you go. There you have it. Next week, uh, we'll be coming back at you with some more fun things about the console wars, getting into like the N64 era and that sort of thing. Yeah. Do we want to um, talk about who won these rounds? Yeah. Um, so I think out of the NES versus the Genesis. Yeah. I'm probably going to say the NES. Yeah, I have And then also the SNES versus the Genesis. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, Sega, like, (laughs) tried really hard, but fucking Nintendo just, you can't beat it. Right. They put up such a good fucking fight. Like, it's so irritating to watch them, like, just go through such bad, honestly, just marketing decisions. Yeah, for real. it could have been so much better if, like, somebody would have been at the helm that was, like, nah, guaranteed hits only. Well, and yeah. the thing is, they try to do that. They try to be, like, guaranteed hits only, but then they weren't putting out enough yeah. games they, to compete they with didn't all do the good games. proper market research or something. Yeah, it was just bad. Um, and honestly, like, I mean, the Sega Saturn, like, I wanted it so bad. <laughs> I wanted so bad for it to win, but I'm gonna have to throw it to the PlayStation. Yeah, I, I mean, really PlayStation... You can't even fuck with it. <laughs> you really can't. In fact, people tried and they got fucked. Yeah. They got fucked heavy. Like, like. <laughs> really, like, comically so. <laughs> yeah. But I think, honestly, overall, the winner of this episode is John claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> yes. TKO. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, uh, what have you been, uh, you been playing anything interesting recently? No, I actually haven't even gotten to play video games, which is upsetting because um, I even had two sick days this week. Oh no. (sighs) Yeah. But I did buy a brand new car! Yeah! Hell yeah! Yeah, it's not brand new, actually. That was a lie. But it's a new-to-me car! (laughs) A new-to-me car! Good, yeah, hell yeah! What kind of car did you get? Um, It's a 2016 Jeep Cherokee. It's like gold on the outside. (laughs) And um, Noah and I are both like babying the fuck out of it. <laughs> and it's hilarious because I've never, I've never owned something this new and fancy. Yeah, that's how I felt about the Subaru. And then um, this winter I hit a mailbox in a snowstorm. And oh my God. And the mirror came off. Yeah, it feels, feels not great. Oh mate. no. <laughs> It's alright, I'm just waiting until, like, my next paycheck comes in and then I'm gonna order a new mirror and put it on, but still, it feels bad. Feels bad, man. <laughs> <That JPEG. laughs> um, yeah, so I actually, I've been playing fucking hella games recently. <laughs> um, so I, even though my shitty laptop is shitty, um, I did download, because I figure I'll have, like, a good... PC eventually. So I downloaded World of Horror and I've been playing that. I played that for like 10 hours yesterday. Oh shit. Awesome. Yeah, dude. It's so fucking good. Cool. I haven't picked it up yet, but it looks dope. I won't say anything because I think that that's something that you should, like, we should play it and that should be like our first indie game review for the Patreon. Okay. By the way, you can get on that at patreon.com slash bite size. We got three tiers, bonus stuff, exclusives. Anyways. Um, really fucking amazing, incredible game. I love it. I'm a huge fan of, like, Japanese-style horror. Um, yeah, for sure. And so that's, like, a big thing for me. And then also, like, also a huge fan of, like, maybe not... Okay, let me rephrase that. Not a huge fan of H.P. Lovecraft. Guy kind of fucking sucked. 
but his <laughs> his his art and his work and his oh, like, yeah. crazy stuff that he did in his mind. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm here for it. Here for it. <laughs> um and then I also kind of speaking on this episode because we talked about it. I played the new demo for Final Fantasy VII, <gasps> oh. which was released at PAX East. So yeah, it's uh, it's super good. I think I just uh, it's gonna take me a while playing it and like playing the actual game. I mean, the game itself, beautiful, gorgeous, amazing, wonderful. Um, but the problem is I have yet to to play a Final Fantasy game that wasn't turn-based yeah. that I enjoyed. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's kind of, like, the thing is, like, I understand where they're coming from because they're trying to, like, capture new market audiences as well as, you know, reignite the love or whatever. But the battle system is, like, <laughs> yeah, just incredibly irritating. And I'm sure... That if I actually, like, get into it and, like, spend some time playing it once it actually releases. I do have it on pre-order. Um, but once I do that, then, like, it'll be better. But it's just, like, Final Fantasy XII, I think, was the closest thing to an active battle mode that I enjoyed. Which they had, like, a gambit system where you could, like, set all of your allies' actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I based like Based on what you did. Yeah. And it was still kind of turn-based, but, like, you had, like, more control. Yeah. And I think it just kept it from being too busy all the time. And that's, like, something that I'm really worried about with this game. Um, but other than that, loved it. was great. It was a good time. Love a Final Fantasy game. For sure. So, yeah. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, next cool, episode cool. we enter, like, deep into 3D gaming. Yeah. Real deep. Deep and yeah, yes, yeah. so deep, <laughs> <laughs> so so deep. Um, until until then, um, of course, this will be out for our Patreon listeners tonight, um, and then we'll be up for our regular listeners on Monday. And then, if you would like to reach out to us, you can reach us at uh, Bite Size Podcast. That's B Y T E S I Z E Podcast. That's going to be at on Twitter and Instagram. If you have any questions for us or you'd like to see something in one of our episodes, you can email us at bitesizedpodcast at gmail.com. That's B-Y-T-E-S-I-Z-E-D podcast at gmail.com. Of course, our Patreon, again, is patreon.com slash bitesizedpodcast. You can check out all the exclusives that we have available there. And other than that, we will see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.